This is Paul. This is Wayne. Welcome, fellas. Hello. We have we have a guest speaker on the mics this week. <laughs> it does seem like it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Wayne. How's it going? Uh, not bad. Things so did you, calm did down. You, did you want to talk to us about your new comics project or the next film you're directing? <laughs> what kind of news do you have to drop on us, Wayne? Snuff films. I don't <laughs> want to hear about those. Nothing new. I'm still an utter failure. No. Excellent. So excellent. But you know, here's here's something I don't understand. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Are you ready for what I don't understand? Uh-huh. Yep. James Gunn posted some insensitive tweets back in the day, which cost him his job at Marvel and won't be directing uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He was he was released from all of his Disney activities, uh, despite the fact that everybody who knows him seems to think that, you know, that's not the person he is now, that he's a good guy. Uh, you know, a tremendous amount of loyalty from, from the, uh, the cast and crew of Guardians of the Galaxy's Volumes 1 and 2. But yet... Warner and everybody else was dashing to grab this guy, right? And uh, he su- to such an extent that Warner gave him pick of the litter of all their DC superheroes films that they've got out there. They said, you tell us what you want to direct. And he has chosen Suicide Squad. Now, we'll talk about that choice in just a moment, but here's what I don't understand. Why is he unacceptable at Disney, but there's no public outcry <laughs> about him working at, at uh, Warner? I do not understand this. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, think... I understand why Warner wants him, right? Because yeah. he's directed two huge effing hits over at Marvel. I don't understand why it's OK for him to be at Warner. Well, I think what happened, right, is Gunn tended to poke the tiger quite a bit when it came to uh, Trump fans. Right. And so I think he poked the tiger too much. They dug in his past. They showed some tweets, some insensitive tweets from when he was working at Troma, which, you know, is what got him the job doing Guardians of the Galaxy with right. his irreverent humor. But anyway, Disney was like, you know what? Too much controversy. You're out. Well, now all the shit's out. And he's yeah. he's gone dark on social media. So, I mean, I don't think, you know, they, they announced his his stuff, uh, you know, with Suicide Squad. But I think at this point, it's like, well, there's nothing else to find out. There's nothing more to release. And, you know, it's already out there and Warner hired him anyway. So, yeah, Plus, there was huge backlash against Disney for doing it. I mean, he had a ton of support when it happened. Yeah. I think I just, Disney, Disney did a knee-jerk reaction, made a mistake, and they doubled down on it and... Because of that, we will get a Suicide Squad by James Gunn. Yeah, I don't get, I don't get it. But that said, looks like he's rebooting the Suicide Squad. Yeah, uh, so that that's interesting, right? They're calling it the Suicide Squad, which is fine. Right? You know, I mean, I'm okay with the reboot. I, I, my sadness about it is that they seem to be um, throwing the baby out with the bathwater with Suicide Squad in that I, I don't I get the impression it's not going to necessarily contradict the previous Suicide Squad film, but it'll kind of start fresh with new cast and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I'm bummed about because, you know, obviously Harley Quinn is, is off the table. Um she's she's got two other movies in the works. But, you know, I actually liked Will Smith as Deadshot. I, 
I agree. Yeah. I thought I thought that I thought he worked well in the film. So hopefully they aren't getting hugely, rid of him. Yeah. So I was hugely surprised by how much I enjoyed him in the role. I mean, yeah. he did a great job. Now, don't get he, me wrong. Those were the two shining moments of that entire film. <laughs> but, yeah, you that know. movie had a ton of issues, and it, what, casting wasn't one of them. So, so I brought all of this up so that I can share something with Wayne that I, I am almost certain that he doesn't know. Are you aware of the film that James Gunn passed on? No. A crypto movie. Son of a bitch. He picked uh, the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's still happening, though. The Super Pets movie is still going into production. Well, it's still in development. I don't think they've got a oh, yeah, director yeah. attached yet. They've got producers attached. And this will thrill Wayne to no end. Zack Snyder's producing. Son of a bitch. Zack Snyder's produced every film, including Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And I don't know if you guys saw, did you see the Birds of Prey um, teaser that announced uh, they were going, they were starting filming? No. I did not. So they, you know, they they just started filming the Birds of Prey um, movie, and so you know, it, the the teaser is is nothing other than like the actors in costume, like on a soundstage. It's nothing fancy, um, but it just it, it gives brief first glances at the Huntress, um, it, uh, Black Mask, played by Ewan McGregor, who just looks like Ewan McGregor. He's not wearing the mask. Um, and Cassandra Kane just is in the movie, just putting that out there. Wow. Um, so, you, you know, you, they, I mean, super, super brief glances, like to the point that you'll just have to look up screenshots if you actually want to see um, what the actors look like. Uh, so uh, I think that's going into that started filming for a 2020 release. Um, I don't recall who the director on that one is, uh, but, you know, certain aspects of the DCEU look like they're continuing on certain, um, aspects looks like they're being left on on the table, including Mr. Ben Affleck, who, uh, you know, he, he posted on uh, social media this week that it looks like he's, well, he, it looks like he has passed the torch on to some other actor to play Batman uh, going forward. I hate that. I really thought that Ben Affleck was a good cast for Batman. I thought so too. You know, I'm bummed that, that he, he's, you know, it just didn't work out. Um, But you know, it is what it is. And hopefully we'll, we'll get a Batman movie. I think in 2020 or 2021, something like that. I think it's 21. Yeah. They needed a scapegoat for their poor decisions and he's the scapegoat. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, the the multiple stints in rehab since being cast as Batman don't really help his case. Well, and I mean, he's not getting any younger. And how long has it been since? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they don't even have a script right now. I mean, they keep they, yeah. they, they can't make a decision. Warner has been so bad at managing their properties that, you know, you, you've really got to. When you get these guys, particularly guys, and, and I hate to put it in these terms, of an advanced age, yeah. <laughs> you got to make those movies quick. Yeah. You know? Well, and, you know, the, the first idea was honestly the best. Ben Affleck writing and directing. It was going to be um, inspired by the Arkham game series yep. and feature Batman uh, versus Deathstroke, played by Joe Manganiello. And, like, how... how I, I don't know how it could get possibly better than that. And they squandered all that away, so... Yeah, no, DC's had some great, or Warner's had some great ideas. They just not executed on them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Paul, you were mentioning Birds of Prey. I saw that the 
original Birds of Prey TV series is on the DC streaming app. Yeah, I gotta I, say, uh, DC streaming is getting better. They they announced this week that they're going to put thousands more comics on the service as well. I saw yeah. that. Yep, I saw that. I mean, the comics on there. The I looked at the entire list of shows, and there are a bunch of them I'd like to watch again. I only have uh, out of the old ones. I only have the Flash and Batman on uh, DVD. I just I want them to get the uh, PlayStation app because I have yeah. nothing to stream it to my TV without that and. It's it's getting better and better. I would have done, you know, I want to see Young Justice so mm-hmm. bad, and I would have watched the uh, the Reign of the Superman on there because it went on there early. Yeah, and so in fact, we're going to talk about Reign of the Superman here in a couple of minutes. Uh, I saw it on the DC Universe app the same day it came out. Well, no, I waited a couple of days, um, but I it came out on the DC Universe app the same day it came out on Blu-ray. Not the same day, day it was day. released on on digital, but the day and date with the uh, the Blu-ray. Well. Before we hop into that, we're going to hop over to the Marvel world just just for a brief aside, uh, because Aaron and I both finished watching Punisher season two on Netflix this past week. Um, I just wanted to, to share a couple words. I, you know, I think with the, when we spoke about it, I had just started watching it. Uh, I was a huge, huge fan of season one. I thought season one was probably up there with with one of the best um, Marvel Netflix shows comparable to Daredevil. And then Punisher season two came out hit the ground running for me with some excellent fight sequences, good emotional beats, great acting. And um, honestly, I was, I was invested in the series. It it had a couple of like mediocre episodes, Uh, but for me, and I don't know about for you, Aaron, but the ending, the ending was pretty lousy. Yeah. I, uh, I gotta say I was all in on season two from the, from the jump. I thought, I thought I thought everything was terrific going through. For me, it didn't have any low points uh, throughout the run until the thirteenth episode, and I was amazed at how mismanaged the landing was on this season. And it didn't seem like it was a uh, it was a hard thing to stick. I, I feel like they made some artistic choices. Uh, that did not pay off for them in the 13th episode. I mean, I was just like, wow, you know, the big conflict that you've been building up for the entire season doesn't occur. (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, it was, it was amazing to me. Um, and, and we're going to spoil some things. So, you know, fast forward about two minutes if you, if you don't want to hear the spoilers, but you know, uh, Billy Russo, uh, AKA Jigsaw is built to be uh, a very sympathetic character, but also a rather intense villain. And he's not punished by um, the Punisher. He is essentially killed by Agent Madani and then put out of his misery by Frank. Um, and that's that was tremendously unsatisfying. Yeah. I mean, um, and it just. I, I understand the artistic choice behind it, right? Yeah, that, I that Frank too. had to turn off the emotion to to end to just get it over with. But at the same time, they they spent the entire season building up to this conflict, yeah. and at no point until then do they really share screen time together, right? Um, you know, it, there's there's yeah, there's very... a, there's there's a brief moment in what around episode eight, yeah, but that's uh, a shoot out of the street. But they don't interact very much, you know, yeah. So, yeah, the, the only interaction they have all season is this 
five second sequence where Frank puts him yeah. out of his misery. So that was that was super disappointing considering um, how well those actors played off of each other in season one. And then you've got the other bad guy who is also really intense in a different sort of way, in a smoldering sort of creepy way, John Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Punisher lets him off the hook. Yeah. So, you <laughs> know. Mean, and that dude, don't get me wrong, Billy Russo did horrible, horrible things. That dude was worse. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and you know, B Billy Russo at least had no memory of what he had done to Frank's family and was tortured by the fact that why would Frank betray me? Why does Frank want me dead? Because after the events of season one, he has no memory of, of having betrayed Frank. Right. And so, you know, you're, it's there, there are times where you feel really sympathetic towards Billy because, you know, he doesn't understand why he is regarded as the monster he is. Whereas John Pilgrim, <laughs> straight up kills kids, you know, I mean, murders them and, you know, wantonly murders other people, but yet he's let off the hook. Yeah. I am. I, I would. And that is not Frank Castle. No. And there were, mo there were a couple of sequences in this uh, Frank Castle lets off, um, uh, a child pornographer. He uh -huh. lets off a Russian mobster. And he lets off um, John Pilgrim. And, you know, in two of those situations, it's a very Martha moment. And it's basically because the guy has kids that he lets off Pilgrim and the Russian mobster. And the, the pedophile, he lets him off because he's, you know, he's got the kid with him that he's trying to protect. And the kid's like, this is too much even for you. And I'm like, the dude's a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, yeah. a pornographer and a pedophile. Yeah. I, you know, and and Frank just lets him off and just burns down the photo studio. And I'm like, come on. Like, it, it, it neutered him a bit too much. Yeah. Um, no, that that is so not the Punisher. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and you know, they wanted to show the he Even if he lets him off at that moment because a kid is watching, he's going to come back and take him out. And I got to say, had they shown that as the end... Yeah. You know, that, that Frank goes back and, and takes care of that guy. I, I would have felt a little bit more satisfied. But the yeah. end is just Frank taking out some gangbangers. And it's like these gang, you, you're, you're blowing away gangbangers, like young teenage gangbangers. But you let off the pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I mean, but, you know, and the sad thing is, is that I enjoyed the other 12 episodes a lot. I mean, I thought it was a really strong season until that end, because, you know, it really should have been Frank stomping around in everybody's guts in that last episode. And it just wasn't. And I, I was just wildly disappointed in that. Yeah. The, the last episode, it, when the fight between Frank and some cops in an elevator is the best sequence of the last episode, it really didn't stick to landing. And, and I agree well, with you, Aaron. Until then, uh, I enjoyed it. The acting was great all around. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's really just... a strong cast. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, you know. If we were going to get a season three, you cannot tell me that the villain would not be the psychiatrist. Yeah. Because, boy, they sure were. It felt like they were building her up to be the next big bad. Yeah. And uh, and, and I mean, she's creepy as fuck. 
Um, <laughs> you know, you don't, yeah. you don't realize how messed up she is until about midway through the season. And you're like, yeah, the more you get to know about her, the more you're like, okay, she's, she's maybe scarier than Billy Russo. <laughs> but I will say yeah. other than that, they didn't set up any threads for a season no. three. Um, so it, it, it has a nice little bow on it. All the stories are wrapped up. Um, there, you know, it, yes, Frank's still out doing his punishing thing. Uh, but honestly, like if there is no season three, you, it had two relatively good seasons, and uh, you know I, I don't feel as sad about this one not getting renewed as I do um, other shows. And I haven't seen Daredevil season three yet, but other shows that may have had open threads. Season yeah. three is really good, Paul. Yeah, and so I, I, I was next. I read an interview with the actress that plays uh, Karen Page. Yeah, and she was talking about how she was unhappy there wasn't going to be another season of Punisher. Yeah, and that uh, she feels like her role in that show and that was never fully wrapped up. Yeah. I mean, they agreed, but she, she had a, a, a one episode appearance in this and it was beneficial and it was good, but I don't necessarily think she needs to become a series regular like she was in season one. Yeah. Um, but it's sad. Know. It's sad. I mean, I, I hate to see it end. And this is the way I feel about all those Marvel shows is that they've really, They've got great actors playing terrific these these characters. I mean, they've really created them for the screen. And, you know, we're never going to get to see these guys be these guys again. I hate that. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, yeah. you know, I, I, there are some some properties that would have been great on Netflix, like a Blade or a Ghost Rider that I just don't think we're going to see. We're not going to see that. And I don't know that they're going to show up on the Disney Plus streaming service. Because I don't know that that's going to have these more mature uh, series. I mean, Punisher Season 2, um, it, it went to some darker places than Season 1 huh. to the point that it actually surprised me. Yeah. Um, I was like, wow, okay. like Yeah, the the the, uh, the wound sex. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. not just the wound <laughs> sex, but the yeah. um, pilgrim with the uh, the prostitute. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, that, yeah. that, that's, that's like hard, hard R yeah. for, for a Marvel show. Well, and you know, they never quite explained what happened to the room of hookers and the John. Yeah. When Pilgrim goes in there. I mean, I was like, where? I, when they were, when Frank is being shot at from the other hotel room yeah. and he's hiding behind the bed in the room he's in and he's in the room where the party was happening. Yeah. Right. I kept expecting him to look under the bed and see like the John dead or a hooker dead. Uh, and that, that, that never pays off. So you never know how that resolves. No, no, good point. You know? yeah. So that was, that was weird. Yeah, the last thing I'll say in that last episode, I mean, this was, this was really as much as I'm complaining about how it wrapped up, it was a, a really strong season, but in the tone was such a huge shift in the last episode that I laughed out loud several times. And I'm like, I don't think that was supposed to be funny. Yeah, they, you know, they had, I did, it just well, didn't work. That last episode just did not work. Well, yeah, there is one moment that I do think that was intended to be amusing, and that's where Frank is is pushing everybody to get out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so he's shoving them into the elevator, and the elevator closes, and the elevator opening up behind him is full of cops. And it's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> And that was that was that was really good, but it does lead to that scene that you're talking about, where it's the best action scene, it's the best sequence, where he's fighting in in that enclosed space with like four cops. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and it, that was really well done. But, you know, the, the rest of the show, I felt like I was laughing in places that the creators did not intend me to laugh. I would agree. Yeah. Well, um, you know, also, well, that came out a couple weeks ago. We finished watching it. Um, and I also watched on uh, on my phone um, Reign of the Superman on the DC Universe app that we were just talking about a couple minutes ago. Right. Uh, I don't know how you guys saw it. Uh, Aaron, I'm assuming you, you did a digital purchase instead of a physical media purchase. I actually bought the uh, Blu-ray that has the Blu-ray DVD and uh, digital copy. Nice. And, and then, I, I do tend to buy these. I mean, I, yeah. I have bought every single DC animated movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. Glutton for punishment. <laughs> um, <laughs> until this one. Uh, one, because... If I figured if I enjoyed it, I would just buy the eventual deluxe edition that combines both movies. Um, and two, it's freaking included in my DC Universe subscription right. now. Yeah, so that's absolutely. what I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, I don't buy all of them, but I tend to buy the Superman and most of the Batman ones. Yeah. I haven't picked this one up yet, though, because I haven't had the opportunity to go to the store and get it. But I'm well, really looking forward to it and hearing what you guys have to say about it. Well, I uh, I streamed it to my iPad while I was uh, drinking scotch and having a cigar last night, and uh, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, I... <sighs> go ahead. <laughs> for the most part, I enjoyed it, but I will say, I thought the intent of this two-part series was to present a comic book accurate. Uh, adaptation of the Death and Return of Superman, kind of like they did with the Dark Knight Returns. There is mm -hmm. such little in this second film that is adapted from the actual comic books. It's it's right. basically they they took the four Superman and and they changed everything else. That's what I was afraid of. Like I was all excited that they were doing the four Superman. That made me think they were going to be true to the story. And then I had a buddy who was watching this and sending me. Uh, like text while he was watching it of, you know, oh no, they're starting to change things. They're changing things. I don't like this. I don't like this. And I got his take on it the entire time he was watching it. And uh, that's a little disheartening because I really wanted this to be the same story from the comics. Even because, I mean, Death of Superman, they even had, you know, redheaded, big beard Lex Luthor. Yeah. Even if even though it was just kind of a nod and a wink, it's still, they did that. And that made me happy. Yeah. I will say that, that one of my first disappointments, uh, and it's, it is largely a disappointment consistent across all DC properties these days, uh, all DC animated properties these days. And it was the voice talent. Um, you know, we, yeah. I, I, we hire a lot of actors who are not, character actors mm -hmm. to play these characters. And so their voices are not very distinctive. Um, so on the one hand, Jerry O'Connell is terrible as Superman. He does not have a Superman sounding voice. He is, he does not have a commanding voice like, uh, uh, shoot. I'm suddenly drawing a blank on the Tim guy Daly. who's in Tim Daly. Thank you. Tim Daly's got a great voice for Superman. Um, I, I think there are any number of actors who could pull off Superman and why you would use Jerry O'Connell and continue to use Jerry O'Connell to voice Superman is beyond me. I mean, even uh, what's his name? George Newbern, who's done Superman. I believe I've got that name correct. Yeah, who's done Superman. Who it was a was and his voice is almost is Tim Daly like. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Rebecca Romaine, who I enjoy on screen quite a bit, but she doesn't bring any character to Lois Lane. No. I mean, at all. I mean, you, there is there is no – Lois Lane should be somebody who, who, who has a grit and a command to her voice, um, and there's none of that there. Now, that said, I do think that Rosario Dawson – is a real has a really great sort of Amazonian voice for Wonder Woman. Yeah, I think she's fantastic. I was worried. I gotta say, Aaron. Yeah, I was worried where you were going with this was that you liked Rain Wilson as Lex Luthor. Oh, he was terrible. As Lex <laughs> he was so bad. Yeah, so bad. It, yeah, it was, in fact, none it was, of the major characters are any good. In fact, this Cameron uh, Monaghan that plays Superboy. Yeah, I hated him from the jump, and I continued to hate him throughout the entire show. He plays um, Jerome or, or the Joker on uh, Gotham. That's uh, that's Cameron Monaghan. Oh, he, he was awful. Um, now, Cress Williams, I'm not familiar with him, but he was OK as Steel. Um, but, uh, you that's know, Black Lightning. Oh, is he? OK. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the two act, the two voices that I was really you know thrilled with were Rosario Dawson as Wonder Woman and Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern. Um, the rest of it. I mean, I, I thought the voice acting was really underwhelming, and that has been true for a while in the DC animated projects. Uh, I just, yeah. I feel like the, the voice acting is just really subpar. At least they stuck. Like, Villian's done Green Lantern before for them as yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So at least they brought one person back who's no, they brought back the entire Justice League, right? So it, it's the Justice League that they've been using for their new Fifty Two themed movies, which I will say. It does seem, uh, spoilers on, in the post-credit sequence that they are building yeah. up to a conclusion of this new 52 era of animated movies. Um, and in the post-credit sequence, the Justice League is meeting and saying, you know what? We're tired of apocalypse intruding. We're going to take the fight to them. And it seems like that is a concluding chapter to this series of uh, films. And, and, I'm, and I'm grateful for it. And let me add, Tony Todd as Darkseid was fantastic. Uh, you I know really what? like I, I, I he's I don't know I, and don't get me wrong he's, I like Tony Todd but I just have a hard time getting past anyone other than Michael Ironside I I don't disagree with you and, and you know I frequently ask myself you know when you've got voice actors who who really have captured that character why are you going elsewhere you know I'll, I'll never understand that um, I understand that that the director is wanting a new look, but you've got a new look. You've got a different uh, animation style. But why would you not grab that actor if you have that chance? I don't understand that. And Michael Ironside's still working. Yeah, I think he's still working. Well, he's got his um, voice anyway. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I just that stuff drives me crazy. Drives me crazy, Paul. And you know, uh, there there were a number of changes in the story, and some of them worked, some of them didn't. Um, I found myself kind of getting into the groove of the story about forty minutes in, which is you know a rather harsh comment on a ninety-minute movie. Um, yeah, it, but, it all felt very rushed, and and it almost feels like there should have been three movies because mm-hmm. in in essence, if you watch these two movies back to back. Spoiler warnings on Superman's dead for probably a sum total of 45 minutes of a three hour long movie. Right. Um, you know, he, he comes back about halfway into this movie. So he's ultimately not. And in fact, you know, at the end of episode of the the first part, you know, it, it's revealed that he, he's back and, 
you know, we know the story, and of course we know he's coming back, but ultimately it, he's he's dead for just a short period of time. It's the same basic problem that if you compare um, Batman versus Superman with Justice League, right? Right. You know that he if you watch those back to back, Superman's dead for a very short period of time for it to yeah. be such a big deal. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I, I was frustrated with the end of uh, Death of Superman because we saw a Superman floating there so soon. Because I wanted time without him. I mean, the original story wasn't a two-part story. No. It was three epic tales, with the second one being a world without this, a world without Superman. I want that shown too. I want to see the world. I want to see Batman stepping up in uh, in Metropolis over the funeral because yeah. you know. Nobody does something on that day in Metropolis. I feel like they could have gotten an entire movie with this Reign of the Superman slash Justice League thing and then had Return of Superman, which, yep. I mean, in the books, I know we're saying it's three pieces. There's Death of Superman, um, World Without Superman, and then Reign of the Superman. But the Reign of the Superman was a full arc before we had return (laughs) before we had return of this return of superman which which you know basically kind of coincided with the destruction of coast city and all that that was really not a huge chunk of it so i i I I do think there's three movies there but they did it in two when you think of the content that was out in that period i mean you had superman comics coming out every week telling that story and you know, you get no real sense. I mean, even though they tell you it's been six months since the death of Superman, you don't really get to know these characters uh, before Superman's back on the screen. Yeah, agreed. So uh, here's the thing. It's not bad. And watched back to back, it's actually probably a fun, decent DC movie. And if you were given that it is one of these new 52 movies. If you compare it to the other new 52 movies, you know, excluding the Batman ones, which have been good, this is probably the best Justice League new 52 movie. Uh, I would agree. But it also is a Justice League new 52 movie. It's not a direct adaptation of the death and return of Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it is an improvement over the previous death of Superman film, the Superman doomsday film. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, but I mean, that's a low bar. Yeah, that is the lowest bar. That is probably one of their worst films. Um, yeah, was that one, and that was their that was their coming out of the gate movie too. Yeah, but you know, since we're talking about Superman, Aaron, um, yes, you and I, just when we thought we were out, they, we were we were hard out. We were hard time, out. Right? We did yeah. we did on microphone say we were out of the Bendis yeah. Superman books. And then the Leviathan Rising, part one, came out this week in Action Comics number 1007. Now, I've been out for a couple issues on this, um, but it's written by Bendis. And I got to tell you, it's not Bendis that brought me back in. It's one, the promise of this Leviathan being a big thing. And Leviathan is um, a criminal organization that was set up in the pages of Grant Morrison's Batman Incorporated run. Um, But it's also the Steve Epting that drew me back in. And... um, so I'm just going to say one thing, and then I'll let you take it away, and then you know we can go back and forth. As excited as I was for Steve Epting, that dude is not the right artist for a Superman book. I feel um, he, he's great with the, the 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 darker and criminal aspects of this book, but I felt like his pages of super heroic action didn't work as well for me. But that was just me. Let's let's see what you think, Aaron. Well, I I felt like there was such a change in the quality of the pages in my opinion from everything that came before to when you get to page 17 and superman appears yeah 
I thought it was a different artist. It's very Jerry Ordway-ish, which isn't bad, but it's such a it is such a stark contrast from the first uh, sixteen yeah. pages. And I really like Jerry Ordway, and I I did not feel that. Now, I liked it. Um, I just it was jarring, particularly that shot of him flying over the city streets. Yeah. Um, it, it just it didn't stand up to the. Uh, the design of the other pages. I really enjoyed this book though. I will say uh, I did too. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm like, I mean, if you listen to that episode, Paul and I are hard out on the Superman books and this one was so good. I mean, this is one of those kind of books. I'm like, okay, I would read all of this if it was just Jimmy Olsen. Uh, because if the, it was the, just the Daily Planet, if it was just Jimmy, Clark and Lois, because honestly, uh-huh. the weakest pages are the ones we're referring to with yeah. Superman. Yeah. This is a great Daily Planet book. Yeah. And, and I loved I mean, Jimmy Olsen is pretty much getting seduced into a sex cult. I mean, this felt like, uh, you know, Chloe <laughs> was uh, recruiting. Him. Wow. You yes, know, it's not actually a sex out. cult. It's Cobra. No. <laughs> well, but no, but she's promising I was suddenly interested She's promising him sex if he stays through the end. That's true. Yeah. Lizard sex. I mean, sex. she is, yeah, she is, uh, she is, you know, very much, you know, you know, promising, you know, there, there is some booty involved for you if, uh, you know, if you, if you hang around for the end. Yeah. So I've been hard out on the Bendis Superman for a little bit. I, I just cannot stand what he's done with the characters and, the story, even though he has the voice right for Superman himself. So it's interesting that you guys jumped back in here. Well, and the, the scenes, I mean, I love, there was a moment there where I thought that Jimmy was going to get seduced into this. And, you know, he's, he's like, you know, this is, this is a, 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 a Cobra cult. And he just immediately picks his phone up and just starts snapping pictures, doing the reporter thing. (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, I just I I loved it. I loved that scene, the pacing on the on that the whole page. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big two page spread. You know, with huge action and stakes for Jimmy. I just I thought it was fantastic. Um, I I question the wisdom of it, but I really enjoyed the pages between Lois and her father. I agree with um, that. That's uh, you know that it. And now again, I've been out for a couple of issues, so I don't know. What you know, if, if they've been leading up to this sequence between Lois and her father, um, but spoilers on Lois reveals to her father that Superman and Clark are the same person, and you know, it's a it is a a great emotional sequence, but I I to your point, Aaron, I question the logic behind it. Yeah. Yeah, and th- yeah, there's a moment where you know Clark is looking over Jimmy's shoulder. I thought maybe he was seeing this, you know, because he leaves and he says, "Hey, Jimmy, I'll have to get back to you." And then it cuts to the scene, and I'm like, "Oh, is is Clark watching out over this?" And you know, he's not. He's off doing other things. But um, the this scene's heartbreaking. You know, she talks about you know I've seen what happens to you know people who've got you know bad relationships with their parent. I don't want that to be us. I told you a lie, you know, on my wedding day and I need to come clean on that because, you know, and, and she says, she says some beautiful things uh, and I'll read you a little bit of it. She's like, uh, 
I should have trusted you with this because you're my father. And though you and I disagree about this exact subject on every level, I think you would have seen that this man that you don't trust because you don't understand him completely adores your daughter. He completely understands me and he completely loves me. And I mean, it's this she she goes on later on. She's like, I would think that this is the kind of thing you'd want to hear about the man who loves your daughter. And then when she drops that, you know, Clark is Superman, he doesn't have a thing to say. He turns around and walks off. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was everything we know about him. That's just a horrible idea to tell him. Agreed. But again, I I don't know if that they've been setting this up. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I've been out for a couple of issues, so maybe they've been setting up their relationship getting better and her feeling bad about it or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, it, it was it was very like, whoa, what are you doing <laughs> for me? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I that was a great moment. I, again, question the wisdom of it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I get that, you know, you want you want that relationship with your parent. Right. You want to be honest with your parent. You don't want to have this big lie between you. Uh, I I think it's a very human thing that Lois has done. I'm real curious of whether or not she told Clark about this before she did it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, but, you know, there are things I I, 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 I struggle with in this issue. And part of it's the artwork on Superman. And I'm hoping that that artwork improves. But I'm, I'm in for the next issue. Yeah. Uh, and the cover is uh, early contender for cover of the year for me. Um, just putting that out there. I here love, we are in January. Uh, yeah, here we are in January. But I freaking love the cover on this book. The cover is one of the things that drew me in. Is it's it's done by Steve Epting. It's got a, a Fleischer quality to it that I just find beautiful. Now, are you talking about the the uh, primary cover? Yeah, the primary cover with Lois and Clark on it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's gorgeous cover, and I like that it's an action thing for Lois, right? Yeah. Um, and the, I, and the I, Pat Gleason uh, backup cover isn't too bad either. No, yeah, yeah, I was just wanted to make sure I understood which cover you were talking about. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I I, I agree. I, I I'm cautiously optimistic about this storyline. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah. So you know, sometimes we change our minds. Yeah. <laughs> and we and we might again. So you know, yeah. no promises that we'll make it till the end of the storyline, but we're certainly going right. to try. Um, right. So you know, since since we're talking about Superman, uh, let's let's hit a, another books that feature Superman very prominently. Heroes in Crisis number five. Well, actually, I guess it doesn't. He's on the cover, uh, but but uh, you know, very minimally well, in the book. He's he soliloquies uh, throughout most of the book. No, that's a fair point. That is a fair yeah. point. Um, you know, so one thing I want to say about this book before we get into the heart of it. Or, or the meat of it, I should say, is Tom King has said that there are hints in this book of his next Mr. Miracle-esque maxi-series. And so, you know, go, I went in with that wondering, you know, what is, what is he referring to? Um, and all I can think of is that he, he's going to be doing some type of take either on the Adam, the Shining Knight, or um, Adam Strange. Uh, because those characters felt misplaced in this book. Maybe not the Adam, but certainly Shining Knight and Adam Strange. Like, this doesn't really seem like... It, like, I don't know that they would be listening to this soliloquy from Superman right now. Right. Um, I had that exact thought. It's like, they're not characters that have been established as having been, you know, at Sanctuary at any point. And they not characters that would be watching 
this. And they're also not characters that are featured in another DC book that's that they'd want to promote. Like, you know, you get the Justice League Dark in here, um, you know, and the uh, Mr. Terrific is in uh, the ter- not Mr. Terrific. Um, yeah, Mr. Terrific, right? Yes. Is in the Terrifics. Um, but the other characters aren't, you know, those two specifically aren't featured in their own book. So I'm wondering if that's set up for for whatever he has coming. But, uh, you know, it hasn't been announced yet. He just said that there would be a hint of it in this book. So I, I, that that may, that's what I'm thinking. And I would love to see him take on either one of those characters. Well, not necessarily Shining Knight. I'm, I've never been a fan of Shining Knight. But if he took on Adam Strange, I'd, I'd be psyched for it. I, I got to kind of say that I, I'm pretty sure that whatever Tom King is going to write, I'm probably going to be there for. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really think that, you know, when he applies himself, I, uh, I, I kind of love what he does. Yeah. Well, let's, what did you hear about? What did, what did you hear? What did you think about heroes in crisis? Number five? Well, I, I love the dialogue and the artwork is gorgeous. I'm just not real convinced with where some of this stuff is going. I, I did feel like we got some clues dropped on us. Um, I just feel like five issues in, I ought to have a better sense of, of what we're doing here. Because there's only nine, I think, total, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what I'm a little frustrated with. You know, here we are midpoint, and I feel like I ought to have a better sense of of what we're up against. You know, who the bad guy is. And, you know, is the mystery just who's the bad guy and then we're done? <laughs> you know? I think to a certain uh, extent, yeah. I think, you know, it's kind of like Identity Crisis that, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna, we've got a couple more issues. And somewhere around issue seven or eight, we'll find out who the actual killer is before the resolution in issue nine. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, and, and Wayne, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. This is the first time Tom King has written Booster Gold that felt like Booster Gold to me. I agree. I thought this issue was much more in character for Booster than the previous ones. Uh, I'm really enjoying seeing him and Ted Cord Blue Beetle, even though it doesn't make any sense to me. Because we have, as far as I know, in the New 52, we haven't established... Ted Cord is ever being yeah we did with rebirth okay yeah he's been around for a while yeah and he's been uh training uh Jaime right okay Mm -hmm. that that makes more sense then I guess his uh death is just completely gone no no he died he talks about it at one point having been dead before Mm. well I like seeing them (laughs) together again I they seem in character both of them Mm -hmm. in this issue at least I said Booster hasn't been in character for most of the storyline, but this issue it felt like Booster again. Uh, one thing I absolutely loved was the Batgirl scene with Skeets. Going yes. in, I, at first I hated it. You know, the uh, she takes Skeets and she's talking about some special tools she's got to get the information out of him. And then she's talking about how Batman's too good of a guy and... People, you know, people know not to be afraid of him. And I'm thinking the whole time she's talking about it, it's like, and they don't think you're any darker until Harley shows up. Right. And I just I love that scene once Harley shows up. It's like, OK, now that makes sense. I'm loving the her and Harley bonding aspect because they're both characters that have been abused by Joker. And I can just see that they have something in common that would make them, you know, have those bonding moments. Yeah, that's a relationship I hadn't really seen set up in other things. Uh, I don't know if it's something that's been ongoing, but they 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 are good, you know, twosome here. You know, the I don't you know a lot has been made of that opening splash page with Booster and um, Blue Beetle on the couch. 
Yeah. Uh, just the art of it, because Heroes in Crisis is hidden, like, you know, in, in the things, in, like, the the torn stuff on the wall and their feet and the cords on the floor and the pizza spell out Heroes in Crisis. Um and it, it's done very subtly. I think it's a it's a beautiful page. And we, yeah, you know, Clay Mann was, I think, my nominee for best artist of 2018. Yeah, yeah. It was subtle enough. I didn't catch it until you just said that. And now looking at it, I don't know how I didn't catch it because it's, <laughs> it's very obvious. But I didn't catch it until you pointed it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super well done. And I I, I, I hear you, Aaron. Um, it feels like that we should be further along in the story. I just think. This is the story. I think, you know, unlike Doomsday Clock, which is supposedly this big universe expanding, you know, rewriting story where I would have expected more action. This strikes me more as a a murder mystery that we need to get to the bottom of. And I I will say the one thing that I found very interesting in this book is about the, the Wally West thing. That he's five days too old. Yes. And I think that's the real clue we, we find out in this issue, right? Mm hmm. So, you know, what is that? You know, that like I, I, I'm genuinely like, what the hell does that mean? I'm, I'm yeah. I, I actually don't know what's happening. And so I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I was expecting him to find the opposite, that the bodies were artificially grown or something and that none of them are actually dead. Yeah, well, in his Harley. Days, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said the five days too old makes me think that, that you know, missing time. Yeah. Well, or he, he it's a future self five days in the future who was brought back. And so since that's five days in the future, is Wally still alive? And are all those other guys still alive? Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, can they prevent it? Because we're still within the five days. Correct. Know? Yeah, that's that's how I read that. Yeah. But, you know, we'll find out more. Sometime between now and issue nine. My yeah. guess is issue nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron and I gave a shot to a couple of annuals, and I'm, I'm just going to briefly mention Flash Annual number two came out this week. I, I picked it up just because it, it kind of it's written by Joshua Williamson, art by Scott Collins. I'm a fan of both. Um, it, it leads into Young Justice number one with uh, Impulse and also um, deals with Barry Allen's immediate um Barry and Iris Allen's immediate response to Wally West's death. Uh, as, but, it you know, it also introduces this Godspeed... I shouldn't say introduces. Brings back this Godspeed character and sets up other stories for the Flash books. It's a good book. It's, you know, it, it, the, the impact of it is a bit lessened, given that there's this mystery going on is maybe Wally isn't dead. Um, but if you're a Flash fan, I don't, probably don't need to tell you to pick it up. Wayne, you've already picked it up. It's a good book. Um there, there are some good beats that if Wally West was actually dead, this would be a great book. Um, but again, the, the impact is lessened for me. But uh, we, Aaron picked up Justice League Annual with me because, um, I, I, I don't know if, if you picked it up just because I did or if you picked it up because you had read the same things I did, which is that it sets up, it, it, it concludes a lot of things and sets up a lot of things. Yeah, that's exactly why I picked it up. And I'm a sucker for the source wall. Yeah. Well, and one thing, I just want to say one thing, which is there is a scene in this book um, that makes me very happy and led me to spend a bunch of money yesterday on Comixology, (laughs) which is that they are bringing back the Earth 2 characters uh, from James Robinson, including that version of Batman and the African-American Superman and, uh, you know... um, Not uh, what's the uh, Mary, the Shazam character, 
Oh, Mary Marvel. Mary Marvel. Mary Marvel. Um, you know, and the characters from that book uh, are shown at, in in this book, and so that that made me very happy. And so I picked up, uh, which is actually on sale, um, the Earth Two uh, Run uh, the, from beginning through uh, World's End to give that a read. And that should be on sale through Tuesday night, I believe. Okay. Um, I. I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a lot of really nice things about this book, but I want you to know I got two negatives that I'm going to save for the end of my comments. Okay. okay? Uh, first off, this book is gorgeous. It is. Uh, this the, When I saw that uh, James Tinian IV was going to be drawing this book, uh, I knew that I was going to pick it up. Uh, it helped that Scott Snyder really pimped the book in social media this week. Um, I, I super enjoyed our time at the source wall and I was, you know, I was, I was pretty excited that it looks like maybe we're wrapping up this, uh, rather ill-conceived story of, uh, Scott Snyder's that started in metal, um, but, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed and what I, what I thought was nice is the story was told in a way that I didn't have to read all of that Justice League crap uh, that has been going on with. Uh, uh, oh, gosh, who was drawing it? Um, uh, it's been a uh, mix. Brian uh, Hitch. Yeah. Brian Hitch was, was when I jumped out. Uh, but I, this book was great. It felt like it felt like a one of those great cosmic stories mm-hmm. that you used to get all the time. You know, um, there is a certain you know, even though the, the drawing is very different, there is a certain taste of cosmic odyssey to it. Yeah. From yeah, that old Manola uh, Jim Starlin book. Um, I, I really dug it. It was a real Justice Leaguey sort of thing, which is appropriate because yeah. it was the Justice League annual. Um, I dug this book a lot. I, I, I thought that the look was good. The writing was good. I was very interested in what Scott Snyder had to say and how he was voicing these characters. I liked the, you know, old star man that they brought forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I enjoyed the, the character commentary. I enjoyed that, you know, they are, uh, you know, uh, bringing the Titans back to the source wall to put them back in place. And that, you know, Hawk Girl, Hawk Woman, whatever the hell her name is, is going to sacrifice herself to the source wall to save the the multiverse. Thought this was a great book overall. Two things I want to bitch about. First off, Paul, take a look at that cover for me. Okay. Okay. You've got uh, there at the source wall where um, Superman and Batman have been, you know, placed as titans on the source wall. And the title of the book says Slaves of the Source Wall. Huh. Yeah, that didn't happen. Oh. Tell me where that happens in the book. Tell me where anything kind of like that happens in the book. <laughs> not not even a little bit. Yeah, and so, I mean, not only, you know, does this scene with, you know, Superman and Batman, you know, becoming, you know, uh, you know, Titans on the wall, nor is there ever a moment where anyone is a, a slave of the source wall. No. Yeah, that's an interesting choice there. I did, yeah. you know, it's funny. I didn't it didn't even hit me that way. Uh yeah. just because I knew I was going to buy it, I didn't really care about the cover. But yeah, <laughs> good point. Very good point. Very misleading. Yeah, I I just yeah. Um my objection my big complaint about this book is I do not understand why Lex Luthor would choose to release a power into the universe that is so much greater than his and that he has no hope. I mean, there is no effort in this book to, for him to seize control of that power, which would be the only reason that I would think Lex Luthor would do something like that. 
There's no effort to, now that I've released her, she's mine. It's just, we're releasing this power into the universe. I, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Especially a power that essentially wants to destroy everything. Uh-huh. Right. So yeah, I found that very odd. Like, huh, why would Lex want to destroy everything? Yeah. Um, that, that seems out of character. And again, maybe there are holes in the plot line that I, I you know, because I haven't been reading this book or or more to come. Maybe he will try to get, you know, take um, her powers or something. But uh, I, I will agree with you, Aaron. I enjoyed this book. I actually, it felt like a, a very much like a cosmic odyssey or, um, you know, a, a crossover book almost. Uh, yeah. But I, in the pages you know, of I, an annual, which are normally throwaway. I kept conjuring the Walt Simonson, Chris Claremont, uh, Teen Titans versus X-Men book, right? Yeah. Because that was all at the source wall as well. Um, but I mean, it was th- that was the level of grandeur on the page. Mm-hmm. I thought James Tinian the Fourth did a remarkable job illustrating this book. No, Tinian the Fourth was the co-writer. I'm sorry. Uh, it was Daniel oh, right. Semper was the, uh, the artist. Sorry about that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thanks for correcting me. And the only that- artist on the book. And it's gorgeous, Paul. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say the only penciler on the book. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a beautiful book. I love the source wall, like you said. I, yeah. it, I'm surprised that given... Oh, no, there it is. I was about to say there wasn't a lot of Kirby Crackle. No, there's plenty of Kirby Crackle. You just have to look at the oh, yeah. page. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a, a big ideas. And what James Tinian IV does better than Scott Snyder... Scott Snyder does a lot of exposition. But James Tinian IV is good about making the expedition exposition useful to get you caught up. So yeah. I don't feel like I have to go back and read 15 issues of Justice League to understand this book. They got me caught up, and it yeah. didn't feel laborious. Um, I, I enjoyed this book quite a bit. Yeah, it was a great book. It was a great book. And I'm, I'm sorry that, that I was crediting Mr. Tinian IV with, with all that beautiful drawing because uh, Daniel Samper's pencils are gorgeous, and the colors are gorgeous. Yeah. And there's, the, the whole book is just packaged wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So I and you know, I got to tell you, if they made Justice League books like this all the time, I'd be in me some Justice League. Well, next week, Justice League number 17 comes out, co-written by Scott Snyder and James Tinian IV with art by Jim Chung. Um, you know, one of my favorite artists. Uh, it says, after the disastrous events of the annual, Martian Manhunter decides to take matters into his own hands and negotiate a peace with the Legion of Doom leader Lex Luthor. I, I'm, I'm probably going to pick it up. I am too. I am too. And let me just say thank you for mentioning that because the scene between Manhunter and Hot Girl yeah. is a beautiful scene. It is. It's really that is well a done. Beautiful. I, I choked up. I was like, that is a beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was such a lovely scene. I'm sorry that they didn't kill her off in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, like it, it would have it it had so much more weight to it. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, yeah, it was, it was a great book. It's well, a great book. And also, the in fact, new, I would say, Paul, book of the week. I would agree. Yeah. And there were some good books this week, but I would say that was definitely book of the week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the new gods make an appearance in that book. And if you're a new gods fan, Female Furies number one comes out next week. Uh, it's a mini series. Um, you know, it's focused on the female Furies like Barda and Granny Goodness, um, Mad Harriet, Lashina. Uh, Stampa, um, written by Cecile Castellucci or C- Cecil Castellucci, art by uh, Adriana Adriana Mello. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give the first issue a shot. I'm a fan of those characters. Let's see what this this take involves. Um, also from DC Comics, we get Batman number sixty four, which is uh, a crossover uh, book, but, uh, another crossover between Batman and Flash, uh, written by Joshua Williamson. Uh, 
This one's called The Price and uh, features uh, Batman and Flash teaming up uh, uh, as a result of the events in Heroes in Crisis. Sounds exciting. And Young Justice number two comes out from Brian Bendis and Pat Gleason as well. Ooh, ooh, continue to be out on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was just about to ask if either of you were picking it up. uh, I'm going to pick up issue two. I'm going to pick up issue two, but mostly because I want to... They just dropped Connor Kent on us on the last page. So. Yeah, that's why I'm picking up issue two. Well, yeah. and from Marvel Comics, there's a, a couple books. Um, they, they are relaunching Daredevil, um, this time written by Chip Zdarsky, who uh, we are a fan of his writing in... What is the Marvel book we, we just started picking up that he's writing that we've been enjoying? Um, crap. It feels bad because I say we're a is fan it of it. The Invaders or is it... Uh... Yeah, it was The Invaders book. Yeah. yeah. Or was it Guardians? No, no, it's Invaders. Okay. Uh, so Daredevil number one, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto, um, relaunch of the Daredevil book uh, next week. Uh, the third issue of Conan the Barbarian from Jason Aaron and Mahmoud Azrar, um, which I am loving. And, and we'll talk about it next week. I, I made the commitment to get caught up. So yes. uh, we will chat about it next week. And uh, a book that I'm also going to pick up. So hopefully Tim is joining us next week. Avengers number 14, written by Jason Aaron, uh, art by David Marquez. And the reason I'm picking it up is because it is the War of the Vampires and features Dracula and Blade. And I'm always a fan of seeing those characters. The Marvel Dracula. Blah, 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 well, and like we, that guy? That guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron, we got a couple things on the feed for folks to listen to this week. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. We've got some uh, Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. You got last week's recording uh, of, uh, what was it, uh, Brother? Yep, no, Brother. Brother was the first one. Brother oh, no. was the first one. Brother was the first Whatever. one. It I don't know. Oh, New Eden episode. was the second one. Yeah, and the third episode will be up as well this yeah. week, and uh, you know uh, the a new episode of Four Hauntsmen for you guys who what? enjoy your your theme park slash horror event talk. Uh, we'll it's be, not Paul Tober. It's not Paul Tober, but you know what? We're sneaking an episode um, because it occurred to us we hadn't recorded since October second, which seems yeah. odd for a Halloween podcast. But you know, we're throwing out some talk about Christmas events and and uh, Valentine's Day and all sorts of good stuff. So make sure you are checking out IOMGeek.com, um, so and it has links to all the all feeds. all new podcasts, all in their own stream. That's crazy, Paul. Yes. That's don't crazy. cross the streams, but do cross the streams. Listen to all three. <laughs> awesome. Well, Wayne, nice of you to join us. I, we, we look forward to hearing more about all your various projects and uh, films that you're directing. So, uh, you know, come back next time and update us. No, he, he's, uh, he's debating it. <laughs> no, I was debating if I wanted to drop a Paul's Bob joke, and I decided not to. Because <laughs> then you wouldn't be invited back. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my key to being invited back, just not by you. Fair, fair. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.